But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Oh, you just kept it going, right? We're stuck on faithfulness today. It was one, we didn't pull them out of a hat. Pastor Greg said, all right, you're on this day. So it means you're talking about faithfulness. And typically, I don't mind when Pastor Greg says, hey, you're going to preach on this. Because I like to craft a message around it and see what God has to say about that. But faithfulness just felt like a word that... It's just a word that I say over and over, and then I'm like, what does it actually mean? Like it just kind of rolls around in my head. It's uh, when, when I tried to study scriptures about what it said about faithfulness, most of the time it was about God's faithfulness to us. And there was surprisingly not a ton about our faithfulness to God. And... Uh, the best I could come up with is like a combination of, like it's loyalty, but it's not just loyalty. Um, I think there's an aspect of being true to uh, a person or in that relate, being true to that relationship, combined with loyalty, but just um, something that can be counted on with love. I was, I was just trying to get this concept in my head, but. I, I, there were a couple of stories in Scripture. There's one about King David in the Old Testament. You're familiar with King David. He was uh, king of the Israelites. And at the point where this story happens, he is in the middle of a giant winning streak. He's been named the king of Israel. He's returned the Ark of the Covenant, this valued, um, this valued piece, back to Jerusalem so that uh, it could be in the Holy of Holies so that when the Jews came and worshipped, the entire temple was assembled back together. Israel was winning battle after battle, war after war. It seemed King David could do no wrong. In fact, at, some, at one point, uh, scriptures referred to King David as a man after God's own heart. And then in chapter 11, it says that King David went on the rooftop of his temple and walked out and looked down and saw a woman bathing and he was intrigued. And so he had a messenger, and he said, go get that woman and bring her to me. And being the most powerful man in the nation, he, the messenger did that, and the woman came to him. And they laid together. They spent the night together, and she went back to her home. And a couple weeks later, she sent a messenger back to King David and said, uh... I'm pregnant. We've got a problem. Now, her name was Bathsheba, and she was married to a man named Uriah, who was a soldier in King David's army. And so King David is in uh, crisis management. He thinks, maybe I can fix this. And so he calls Uriah home from the battlefield, and he has him into the, uh, the castle for dinner. And they sit and they have dinner. And he says, I'll tell you what, man, you've worked so hard in the field. I've heard such great reports. Why don't you go home, have a night with your wife? You deserve it. Go ahead. And so Uriah leaves the palace, and he thinks about his fellow soldiers on the field, and he thinks about the sacrifices they're making, and he just feels guilty going home and spending an evening with his wife. And so he just sleeps on the mat outside the palace. And David finds out about this the next day, and he's like, ah, plan A, okay, uh, plan B. 
And so the next night, he has Uriah back to the palace. And they have another dinner. And he serves him wine and wine and more wine and more wine. And he gets Uriah drunk. He's like, this will do it. All right, Uriah, go home, spend the night with your wife. And Uriah, in his drunkenness, walks out the palace. And he thinks about his fellow soldiers and the people in the field and the sacrifices they're making. And he just can't do it. And so he falls asleep in the mat outside the palace. And the next day, David hears back. and he's like, Plan B, ruined. And so he sends Uriah back to the field, and he sends a message to his commander, Joab. He says, Joab, the next battle that you guys are in, I want you to go to this area. I want you to put Uriah in the most dangerous spot on the battlefield. And when the battle gets hot and heavy, I want you to pull the the troops back. So Joab, uh, obeying his commanding officer, puts Uriah there. The battle starts. They fade back, and not just Uriah, but many Israelites were killed in that time. With Uriah dead, Bathsheba mourned, but then David took her as his wife. It, it is a, a, a major um, detour from the path that David was on. And so... When I was studying faithfulness, I thought, well, maybe we start with unfaithfulness and we'll figure it out from there. And I want you to see if you can put yourself in this place. I unfortunately have had a couple friends who have had this specific scenario come up. You may have had friends or you could imagine or it's been portrayed on TV and movies And the situation is this. They're in a relationship. They're married um, and marriage and relationships have the ebbs and flows constantly sometimes it's hot and heavy and you are madly in love and other times you're just kind of making it work and sometimes things are they seem a little bit off but there's no time to sit down and talk about what's off because this is happening and that is happening and so you just kind of are hanging on and you're in this relation this person's in this relationship and they're like "Ah, something's not right but uh, we'll just we'll figure it out and then the spouse says um i need to sit down we need to talk And so this person says, okay, well, at least we can start to work through some of this. And so they sit down, and the spouse sits across the table, and they say, I have to tell you something. There's someone else. If you can imagine yourself in that scenario, and I don't like doing that because it makes me nauseous, I can't imagine that conversation. Because that is unfaithfulness in the most specific sense that we can understand from the human perspective. And so if you could put yourself in that place for a second, now let's transfer and say, if God is faithful and I'm unfaithful, does God get sick to his stomach? Does it just, I, I would be ruined. Obviously God is not ruined, but does it really blow him back? What does unfaithfulness do to God? And if I can imagine myself in that type of relationship, then I am encouraged. So then I need to be fit. There's no way I want to put God in that scenario. So how do I become faithful? I got really granular. There's a story in the New Testament in Luke chapter 8. I'll put it up on the screen. and I'm going to read through it. This story, along with the story of King David, we're going to go through because there are specifics to what faithfulness is and what it means for us and how we can be faithful. If faithfulness really is something we aspire to, if it's the fruit of the Spirit, if it's something we want with our relationship with God, how am I supposed to be faithful? 
Let's read the story and then we'll go through it. The story starts in verse 26 of Luke chapter 8. It'll be up on the screen. It says this. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with, with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torture me. For Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him. And though he was unchained, was unchained, was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man who, from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region, of the Gerasenes, asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and he left. The man from whom the demons had gone begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. You may say, how does a story that involves demons and pigs have to do with a king years before committing adultery. I think there is a tie-in between the two that can help us understand from our end, what does faithfulness look like? There's three aspects I think that, I'm going to get really granular here. I know that you guys probably grabbed notes. You can take notes. You're going to need a lot of ink, a lot of pen. There's going to be a lot of notes to take, a big quiz afterward. I know you're going to have a lot to come from this because we're going to get really detailed or we'll just do three points. One of those two. One of those two is going to happen. The first thing I think we learn from both of these stories is if we're going to be faithful, that means faith, being faithful to the season that we're in. Being faithful to the season that God has put, in, put us into. Life is a compilation of seasons. There are, there are periods of time where we do certain things. Maybe there's four years where we're getting our degree. Maybe there's the season of parenthood, the season of empty nests. The season of puberty. The season of retirement. There's, there's all these seasons that are, are coming together, and they have different aspects. Sometimes there's a season where it's, God has called you in the season. you got to do something, man. you got to do this thing and, and get it done and be productive. There are also seasons that God calls you to where you are to be quiet. That's my least favorite season. Where God calls me to just shut up and listen. Sometimes there are seasons where you are called to care for this one particular person or this one particular situation. You are called to that season, and, and we transition from season to season 
pretty regularly. And if we're in tune with the Spirit, we know the season that we're supposed to be in. But a lot of times what happens is we are unfaithful to that season because we like the last one. We got comfortable doing the last one. And we know that there's this other season coming up, but God, can you just, can I stay, uh, can I have an extension in the last season, please? I enjoyed that last season. I was comfortable there. I do not want to be pulled into this next season. Each of you walked in today and you are in the midst of some kind of season in your life. There is a time period that God has called you to, to be a certain way, to do a certain thing, to have certain relationships and you're supposed to be in it and living it to the fullest. But there's a chance you're hanging on to the last thing. The easiest example I can think of is maybe you were in a season uh, that was parenthood. And your child is grown. And they move away. But you still want to do the same things when they're a grown-up adult. And the child has to go, hey, whoa, hey, wait, wait, we're done. Where's the new season time? You don't have to be, uh, parent, that part of parenthood is over, right? That's a silly example, but there are lots of times where we hang on to the old thing. We don't want to do the new thing. We, we were comfortable here. In the story of the demon-possessed man, there's a sentence that I'm sure you didn't think anything of because I didn't think anything of when I read it. And then I, as I got into it, I was like, oh, this, there's something here. And it's verse 26. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. Why does that matter? Why does that matter in this story? Well, I'll tell you. These, Jesus is with his disciples. His disciples are good Jewish kids that Jesus has taken on as apprentices to him, the rabbi. And so he's got 12 apprentices, 12 disciples and Jesus. And they are living in a heavily Jewish area. If I can, if I can um, describe where the Sea of Galilee is. So let's pretend this is the Sea of Galilee right here. They are spending most of their time on the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee. So over here. If you're familiar with the town Cana, that's where Jesus turned water into wine. That was over here. If you're familiar with Capernaum or Bethsaida, those were like the best Jewish areas. Like that, you, if your kids went to school Somewhere around there. Those were like the best Jewish schools. They had the best synagogues, the best teachers. Like that is the, if you really want the Jewish experience, the Hebrews were over here. Cana, Bethsaida, Capernaum, Nazareth. That was, and, and that's where they were and that's where they were comfortable because that's where they grew up. So that's where, a heavily Jewish area. Then you've got the Sea of Galilee right here. And on the southeast side, is this area called the region of the Gerasenes. It's also called, when you look on uh, ancient maps, Decapolis. It's essentially 10 cities in this region where 300 years earlier, Alexander the Great, uh, his soldiers had resettled in that area. If you know anything about history, Alexander the Great uh, believed that the world should be spread full of uh, Hellenism, which is essentially pagan worship. And so there was a lot of pagan worship happening in the Gerasenes over here. And, they were, and the Hebrews were repulsed by what was happening in Decapolis and the Gerasenes. There were sometimes, there were, there were grotesque sexual acts that were a part of the worship in this pagan worship over in the Gerasenes. It was, there was many stories, not just this one, of people who were demon-possessed and out of their mind 
in the Gerasenes. And so you've got these good Jewish kids. And you think about it, the disciples, when they were disciples, we're talking about 18 to 21 years old. Like they spent their time in all the good Jewish area. And Jesus, as he's been teaching them, says, okay, we're going to cross the Sea of Galilee and we're going to go to the Gerasenes. And I, I can't help but think that maybe at least one of the disciples thought, my parents are going to be so mad. We're going over there? That's crazy. I, I, I don't know, Jesus. See, there was a season where they had to grow. But Jesus was calling them to a new season where it was going to be uncomfortable because God's love is for all. And so we go to all to spread his love, even if it's uncomfortable. For the disciples, for Jesus, as in their journey, this was a new season. And I'm sure there were at least a handful of the disciples that would have loved to stay in the good Jewish area. Let's hang out in Nazareth. They got great delis. Let's, let's hang out in Capernaum. They've got this great morning thing with the coffee. They've got a coffee bucket there. It's amazing, I swear, right? Ask, if you didn't get the joke, ask somebody else, right? That's the good Jewish area. You cross the Sea of Galilee, Gerasenes. They were called to a new season. This also comes up in the story of David. And I just want to read the beginning of the story. It's in, it's in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 11. Just listen to the first two verses. This is before he's, had a, he's committed adultery with Bathsheba. This is before Uriah has been murdered. This is before all of that's happening. These are the first two verses. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. Did you catch it? This was the season where the kings went off to war. There was a specific season dedicated for David to lead his army, to continue to defeat their enemies. And David in that moment said, I kind of like the palace. Joab, you take the people. I'm going to hang back. I'm going to hang back. He was called to a season, but he didn't want to leave his last one. He was comfortable. Each of you is called to a season right now. And so let me ask, are you hanging on to what used to be? Are you not uh, embracing the season that God's called you to now because the last one was pretty good. So God, if you could just, I'll take a couple extensions. I'm going to hit snooze a couple times on this season before I go to the next season. And God's like, I've got this other thing I need you to be a part of. If you would just embrace it and stop holding on to this other area because that season's over. And when we aren't faithful to the season that God's called us to, then we are being unfaithful to God. And does that hit him in the stomach a little bit? Does that make him a little sick? That he's been faithful for centuries over and over and over again. And when he calls us to a season, we go, I don't know. We hesitate. David hesitated and it led to an immense amount of pain, suffering, and sin. And the disciples were called to a new season as they head to the garrisons. Are you embracing the season that God has for you? Are you hanging on with dear life, for dear life, to the last one? The second way that we can be faithful to God 
in this uh, that we find here in uh, Luke chapter 8, the story of the demon-possessed man. It's uh, near the end, verse 38. I'll read this again. The man from the, whom the demons had gone out begged to go with Jesus. But Jesus sent him away, saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. So we have to be faithful to the season that we're called to. The second thing we got to be faithful to, if we're going to be faithful to God, is be faithful to our story. My story and the story that God has given us. We all have a story. And we all can look back. I know specifically, I can look back at my life and I can see moments where God provided exactly what I needed. He gave exactly the guidance that I needed. He directed me right, right at the right. He brought people into my life right at the right time. Like he's been faithful over and over and over again. However, and I'm going to make a confession. I know it's going to blow a lot of you away. Sometimes I'm not the most spiritual dude. Sometimes I will sit down and pray to God. And I love worship and praying in the times where when I'm praying, I feel like I, I have a connection. Like God and I, we're like, we're like this, man. Like I, I just feel it. I say the prayer and I leave and I feel like he's giving me guidance. He's giving me clarity. It's great. More often than not, I will pray and I will say amen and I'll go, that was a waste. It felt like I just prayed to a wall because I'm not hearing anything back. I'm not feeling a connection, and I kind of feel like I'm in the dark. I'm sure this is not you guys, but I'll just ask, Do you, in your ever spiritual walk, do you ever feel like you're in the dark waiting and not being able to hear from or hear, know what God is saying or doing? I'm sure it's just me. You're there, and you're like, what? And in that moment, my personality is, you know what, God, never mind, I got it. I got it. We're good. I got it. I like to, I'm a doer. I like to just take it and go. And so if I have to wait and listen and find and, and search the scriptures and talk to people, it's like ah, enough already. In those moments, the thing that we can rely on and the way that we can be faithful, even when we don't feel it or see it or it's not really confirmed yet, is we can look back at our story and continue on the path of the story that God has already given to us to be faithful. This demon-possessed man wanted nothing more than to just be with Jesus. He just wanted to be with him constantly. You're leaving? Can I go with you? Please, please let me go with you. And Jesus said, no, you go back to the town and you tell your story. You're not going to be with me, but you're going to be faithful to the story that I've given you because that's how I'm going to use you best. The same can be said for David. King David was a shepherd boy. He was not someone who sought the spotlight. He was a shepherd. And when there was the moment where Israel was being challenged and Goliath was down in the valley and no one would step up, it's not like David wanted it. He was like, well, I mean, I'll do it if nobody else wants to do it. And he goes out there and he defeats Goliath. And then people are singing his praises. And rather than go, oh, I should be king because I beat Goliath. He, he didn't seek it out. And then King Saul, the current sing, uh, king of the, of the Israelites, got jealous and wanted to kill David. And David was running for his life. Even in that, David wasn't trying to take over the kingdom. He was just trying to stay alive. 
And then when Saul finally passes away and then David is ordained as king, God had to ordain him as king. It wasn't like he was he wasn't running a campaign. There weren't campaign signs out saying, vote David for king. November 6th, don't forget to register, right? It wasn't like that. He didn't ask for it. He didn't feel entitled to it. And every time that they won a battle, every time they won a war, David continued to stay humble. He remembered where he came from. He was not entitled until he stood on the palace roof and he saw the woman. And then instead of turning away, he said, I'm entitled to something. You know what? I've won some battles in my time. Israel, Israel wouldn't even be here without me. They, you know how many times I've bailed them out? You know how many times I've stepped in and, and uh, filled in for their shortcomings? You know how often I have to be the, scape, the guy that jumps in? I'm entitled to something, okay? In that moment, he forgot his story and he became entitled. I deserve this. I deserve her. Bring her to me. You become entitled when you forget your story. And so in those quiet moments, the thing we need to do is be faithful, not just to this moment, but to all the things that have led to this moment. Because this moment might have some confusion, but God's been there all along and he's going to continue to be. So when it feels like you're just praying to a wall, let me encourage you to be faithful to your story. Is that something you're doing? Or are you like, how I often am, where I say, never mind, I got it. Because if that's the case, I'm going to be frank, when I do that, I'm being unfaithful to God. And if I put it in the context of faithfulness, does that kick him in the stomach? Does he get sick? Being faithful means being faithful to the season that God's called us to. Being faithful means being faithful to the story that God's given us. The third thing I'll read in this story is in verse 30. It's a very simple, short verse. It doesn't take much explanation. In the midst of all the demon-possessed man is doing, Jesus just says, what is your name? What's your name? It's the thing Jesus regularly does. And in it, what he's saying is, you have to be faithful to who I've called you to be. You have to be faithful to who I've created you to be. Being faithful means being faithful to your call. I look at all of you here, and I say this with the most humility and modesty. You all each are super weird. You are all uniquely created by God in the weirdest ways, just in hairstyles alone, but also all the other things. He's gifted you specifically. It's, there's, there's no question why there's a huge business and people trying to figure out their personality types and their gift types. There's test after test after test. You can spend tons of time on Facebook being defined by these tests because you're taking them and trying to figure them all out. God has created you uniquely. He's called you for a purpose. You know what you're gifted for. You've figured out some of those gifts and maybe some of them you're still working on, but you're like, oh yeah, I, I kind of know. Or the people around you definitely know what your gifts are. And what they're not. And sometimes you're trying to do the thing that is not what God called you to be. And it's like, oh, dude, you are not. That's not you. You're weird, but not that weird. Okay? God called you to be a specific thing. And when we ignore the call and the gifts he's put in our lives, 
then we are being unfaithful to who he's created us to be. I've said this before. When I think of the, the Christian faith, I used to boil it down as I have a hole in my life that only God can fill. And if I accept Jesus by grace, for, uh, his forgiveness of my sins, God will come in and fill the hole in my life and I will become all I was created to be. And I always thought that made God very small. He's inside of me. He fills me. I'm bigger. He's smaller. And the more I study scripture and the more I try to live my faith, I think the more apt comparison is that there's a knee-shaped hole in the kingdom of God. And when by grace I accept the forgiveness that Jesus offers and, be, and become who God's created and called me to be, then the kingdom of God is the way it was meant to be. Make sense? And so to be faithful to my call means to become who I was created. There's, not, there, there's no... Uh, it's regular that Jesus says, what's your name? What's your name? What's your name? With David, as I said, all through 2 Samuel, he's referred to as a man after God's own heart. God called him, brought him from humble beginnings to make him the king of Israel. And in that moment where he decided that he would be unfit, he would create, uh, he would commit adultery. Was he not forgetting who God called him to be? We can get caught up in very small, petty, temporal things, things that are not going to last. And when we do, when we start to fall for that, I wonder if God goes, don't you know who you are? Don't you know who I created you to be? You were made for so much more than this petty argument. You were made so much for so much more than this stupid selfishness. For this, you were made for so much more for this. If you're going to be faithful to me, be faithful to who I've created you to be. I, you are a child of God. You are an heir to the throne. Do not forego that for some temporal. It's going to feel good if I honk at this person in traffic. It's going to feel good if I curse out my body. It's going, to, it's going to be great if I could just get this thing that I selfishly take that somebody else could use and forego generosity. It's, it's going to feel good. It'll feel good for a second. Sure. And that will go away. And God will go, why were you unfaithful to who I called you to be? Why? Pastor Greg, um, I had gone here for less than a year. I may have told the story already that I I had gone here last year. I was a youth pastor for 12 years. I quit doing uh, youth pastor work to start draw. And while I was a youth pastor, I preached a lot. I would preach it regularly at the churches. There were a couple times where I was the main speaker at a regular worship service a couple years at a time. And when I quit doing the youth pastor thing to start draw, I just stopped teaching. I just stopped. And I started coming here. And about 10 months later, Pastor Greg, it was about two months before Michelle and I were getting married, Pastor Greg said, uh, you want to meet for breakfast? And when the pastor reaches out out of nowhere to say, do you want to have breakfast? I'm like, oh boy, what did I do wrong? Like, uh, do I, is he going to like tell me I have to have counseling or I'm kicked out? Or like, what is, what's going on here? I was very, I went in very cautious to the breakfast. And so we met at a Coney Island. We sat down and we had conversation. And it was very pleasant, but the entire time in the back of my head, I'm like, all right, what's this all about? What are we doing here? And it was just fine. You know, Pastor Greg, he's great. He's easy. At the very end, he goes, by the way, um, I'm out of town in a couple weeks. I know you used to preach. Would you mind preaching? I was like, oh, I haven't done that in five years. Um, sure. And if you were there in that morning, then you may remember that I went about 48 minutes. A tight, compact 48 minutes. Children's ministry loved me. 
I left, and I was like, well, I guess that's probably the last time I'm going to do that. And much to my surprise, a couple weeks later, they came back. They said, would you like to preach again in May? Oh, sure. Preached again. Then I was asked to preach again. And then Pastor Greg said, hey, I'm forming a preaching team so that we can get multiple voices from up front. So that way you don't get tired of the same voice, that there's freshness in what, uh, what's being talked about. Would you like to be in the preaching team? Sure. And so the longer I've been at this church, the more uh, frequent I'm, I've been speaking. And I will say that I don't know. If I'm, I'm going to get better, I swear. But it's put in me by God to be a teacher. Even when I wasn't teaching or preaching, like I was constantly coming up with analogies to like, talk about. I, I think I'm going to get to heaven. I'm going to be like, hey, God, what, what about this? Is it, does this work? And he's like, I keep working on your material, right? Like it's going to be kind of like that. Like he's put that in me. And so when I look back at the five years where I didn't do that at all, was I being unfaithful to my call? I might have been. I don't know. But I know that I have to be faithful to the call now. You may have a gift. Maybe your gift isn't teaching. Maybe it is. Maybe your gift is some other generosity, serving, uh, compassion, uh, hospitality, fill in the blank. Like it's just the thing that you, oh, yeah. Or maybe there's a couple that maybe you're one of those multi, somebody with a giant tool belt. Uh, good for you, right? But if you're not using those things, if you're just sticking them on a shelf, then what you're doing is going, God, I say thanks for this. I'm not using that. That's just going to sit back. I'll, I'll get to it another time. And God goes, don't you know who you are? What is your name? I made you and gave you this so that you would be faithful to the call. So we have to be faithful to the seasons we're in. We have to be faithful to the story we've been given. We have to be faithful to the thing we've been called to be and do. And when we don't do that, when we are unfaithful, are we not essentially giving God the stomach kick? Where he's like, oh, I've been faithful to you. you there's something else? To finish out the David story. There was a guy named Nathan that God sent to David after uh, all of this went down with Bathsheba. And he told Nathan to give him this story where he said, tell David that there is a guy in the kingdom who owns tons of land, has oodles of wild stock, and they, had, they have everything they could want. And tell him the story of how that guy went to the one man who only had one sheep and took it from him. And he told the story to David, and David said, this man must be put to death. This is wrong. And Nathan said, that man is you. You had everything, and you had to have Uriah's wife also. And because of this, God is going to punish you, and part of that is that uh, the child is going to fall ill and pass away, and, and, and there will be judgment brought on the nation because of what you've done. And David mourned as the child was sick. And when the child passed away, a crazy thing happens. David goes to the temple to worship. After he's repented, after he realized what he's done wrong, that he's been unfaithful to God, that he's been unfaithful to the season that God called him to, unfaithful to the story God gave him, unfaithful to the call that God put on his life, he repents, I screwed up, God, I'm sorry. And then he goes and he worships. Why? Because faithfulness is a fruit of the Spirit. We can't create faithfulness on our own. Our faithfulness to God comes when we are in one unison with the Spirit. If we're spending time with Him, 
And so today, I'm going to invite our worship leaders to come back up. And I'll say this to you. You're in a season right now. Is it the right season? Are you hanging on to something that was comfortable because you're afraid of what you might have to do? And if so, if you're being unfaithful to God in that way, is it something you need to change or give up? Are you being unfaithful to your story that God has provided and he's done over and over and over and now you feel like you're in a confusing spot and you just walk away and say, you know what, God, never mind, I got it. And you've walked away from his path that he's created for you just because you have a moment of confusion. Are you being unfaithful to a call? God's put a call on your life. Have you put it on the shelf and said, not right now, God. Not right now. And God goes, when else is there? I've created you for this moment. You have this thing you're dealing with at work, in your family, in your world, and I've given you a passion for it. And when else would you do this? I made you for this. When we set it on the shelf, we're being unfaithful. And God wants nothing but our faithfulness. And so today, may you have a time with God. We'll have the altars open. And if you want someone to pray with you about something, you can. If you just want to pray on your own, you can do that. If you want to just sit in your seat, you're not someone who likes to walk forward, that's fine too. But if there's an unfaithfulness in your relationship with God right now, may you address it. May you say, God, I'm sorry, forgive me. I want to be faithful. And then like David, may you connect with the Spirit right now. Because you can't make faithfulness up on your own. We need him. So the altars are open. We're going to have a song of worship. And we'll close from there. But may you find faithfulness to God. I'm going to encourage you today to not be in a hurry. I'm going to close this in prayer. If you need to hang out and spend some time uh, praying here or talking to someone, please do. Uh, For everyone else, if I can ask you to leave respectfully when we do. don't let this moment pass. If there's a season you're supposed to be in, if there's a story that you've forgotten, if there's a call that you're ignoring, don't, don't leave that alone. God begs for our faithfulness because he's been so faithful to us. So I'm going to pray for us, and then you guys can go. Let's pray. God, thank you that we have a history of you crossing seas to love us. Lord, thank you that we have a history of you continually showing forgiveness so that we can get a do-over, start again with you. God, for all of us here that are struggling with what season is right for us right now or where you are when it seems like you're quiet or what to do with the person you've created us to be, God, May you show us some clarity, whether through our community or in silent prayer or in scripture. But most of all, God, may we connect with your spirit so that we can be faithful. Lord, we ask this in your name. Amen.